1: You to Floyd Street's finest, I'm Jack Grossman. He's Mark Edis, host of The Drive, three to six p.m. weekdays over on 93.9 the Ville. Mark, this is a rare opportunity because normally I ask someone to come on the podcast with a plan to do something, and then something absolutely insane happens, and we end up talking about something big picture being down negative. This is the first time I've asked someone to come on the podcast and something good has happened for Louisville basketball to where, yes, we might get into like the, the coaching future and all that stuff, stuff and, and the big picture stuff later, but Louisville basketball, what a game against yeah, an actual team. This is good, weird. This yeah, is awesome. <laughs> a,
2: a good team. And it's funny. Cause like on a, on like a 24 hour period where Belichick retires, Saban retires, Pete Carroll retires. And Louisville fans are like, but we beat Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you talking about that? Uh, And you know what? They're right. Uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, if you're going to give people a hard time uh, and and be very critical, which we have been of when they don't do the right things that you got to, you got to give them the equal and opposite reaction when they do the right things. And I think Last night, you don't have to, just like every single time something bad happened didn't mean you should have to fire him. You don't have to try to extrapolate to the ultimate conclusions about what should happen here. They just went and played a game, and they went and played way better than we're used to. We said it would take something we're not used to seeing, and I'll be damned if they didn't just go out there and do something we're not used to seeing. And I was, there are so many elements of it that I find encouraging. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I think that they've turned some corner. Uh, you know, or or that this is the new way of them doing things. But if it was, that would be great. But for a night, they went to Miami, a team that played in the Final Four. These guys are—it's a very skilled team. Uh, kind of a funky, good matchup for Louisville as a shorthanded team. But they went and really forced Miami to play their way. And I—when have we ever said that they forced somebody else to play a certain way since Kenny's been here? Have we done it once?
1: Maybe the Indiana game before IU went zoned. That that might be maybe. but it, Indiana allows everyone to do that. So I don't know how much credit I would give them that. But yeah. But um Texas maybe for like those two games of MSG for parts of it, maybe. But other than that, never. We, we haven't we haven't seen that. But Louisville, as you said, did the job of they kept, especially those last 15, 16 minutes for the most part, they kept Miami out of transition. They, you know, forced them to play half-court offense. They were really, really patient on the offensive end on there, and I think that was the biggest thing for everything for Louisville. They were deliberate, patient, and worked the ball to get the ball to the spots they wanted, whether that be, you know, Mike James early, Braden Huntley-Hatfield that entire second half. Louisville did what they wanted offensively, and they actually stayed true to the game plan for the majority of that second half on the offensive end. And to me, that was the biggest difference because Miami, you know, kind of sleepwalks through this game. We'll we'll get to that for sure. But to U of L's credit, they took full advantage and they actually made Miami pay for not showing up in that game. And they executed things that they hadn't done. They had chances to fold and they didn't do it over and over again. And that's a credit to, you know, the roster, the players and and yes, the coaching staff and Kenny Payne for doing the damn thing and actually going out and winning that game.
2: Yeah. I thought it was really funny in the second half. Uh, Seth Greenberg almost coached trying to coach the team from the color chair. You know, j- every single time Louisville got the ball, he was like, You got to get it inside the Hatfield. You got to get it to Hatfield. And you know what? He was right. They did need to. And every just about every single time that they did, something good happened. A- and it's the first time I've really felt like they had a a tailor-made game plan for this matchup. We think this will work. We're determined to do this. And then they went out there and did it, and it was successful. And the Brandon Humley Hatfield that played like he did last night is the guy I think people had hoped to get from day one. Uh, and, and this is kind of the theme with Kenny, not to bring any uh, anything too terribly negative, but good things that show up way too slow. Uh, but you do have to acknowledge them as good things. That's That's a – he was dominant last night. They couldn't stop him from getting where he wanted uh, to go. We've waited for that. And when they get it, man, it, it really does make them better, especially on a, on a weird night where he starts Hersey Miller, you know, uh, out that of was nowhere,
1: <laughs> that was really bizarre, but like,
2: it's funny. Cause you're like, all right, fine. You guys don't think I'm a uh, disciplinary enough. We're going to, we're going to be, I'm benching the guy you all like in Tyler Johnson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, no, not
2: him, but. Uh, what they have left and how they played the body language on the bench, you know, from the guys that weren't in the game, all of it was you have to just revel in the fact that you got a a full 40 minute game of the stuff you've been hoping for. And either they're going to start being that way and you get to be excited about that, or it'll just be the exception that proves the rule. And when the year's over, he'll be gone. But for that night, uh, that's a Miami team that, that like their only recent loss was in overtime at Wake Forest uh that's very skilled and louisville had an answer for everything they tried they didn't fold i think we're we're used to those pressure moments you know something goes bad uh, and, and you're like okay this four point lead is about to be a nine point deficit and it never did and they had this, this stretch where they score and sky clark steals the inbound you know, and quickly dishes and they get another basket and you're like god when was the last time that happened
1: that that was the moment where i was like because you know I- Miami felt like they were kind of just playing with their food all game, but they kind of kept Louisville at arm's length the entire time. Louisville got the lead a couple of times. They or or once at 61, one to 60 or not 61, 60, uh, 59 to 57. I believe it was, they tied it a few times. Miami had that transition bucket after the first time Louisville tied it. And you know, the Louisville's credit, they didn't panic. They worked their stuff. They moved the ball and they got, Huntley-Hatfield in the post to tie the game right back up on the next possession. But that moment of Mike James getting that layup, Sky Clark getting the steal, passing to James, and James making the extra pass back to Clark for the three, that was where I was like,
2: And him knocking it down. Yeah, and
1: him knocking it down. That's where I was like, holy shit. They're going to win this game. (laughs) They very well could win this game. You can tell at that moment, that's where everything shifted in terms of, okay, they're keeping it close, keeping it competitive, like, oh, my God, they, they, they're they going to do the damn thing. <laughs> and it wasn't completely easy from there on out. Miami answered, but Louisville answered, you know, Miami twice in the in that span. But that was just huge. And on Hotley Hadfield, Norchad O'Meara is a dude who, yeah. yes, he's only 6'5", but he's one of the best post defenders in college basketball. He's super, super, super strong. And, yeah. he, you know, he's averaged a double-double for three straight years. How many guys do that? What, No matter what the competition is. I, I the first two years at Arkansas State, but he was absolutely pivotal in their final four run last year. Miami doesn't play a lot of defense, but the one thing you can normally count on is Norchad O'Meara showing up yeah. every day. And for Huntley Hatfield to quite literally, you know, dominate bullied. him. Yeah, he bullied him in that second half. And yeah. Miami never made an adjustment. They never tried to send double teams or anything like that, which, which we can question that on their side, but for Louisville to see that matchup and to say, unless you change something, we're going to win that matchup every single time to stay disciplined enough to keep going to it. And for Huntley Hatfield to actually win that on both sides of the ball. I mean, on the other end, Omir didn't have a field goal the entire second half. Huntley Hatfield had 17 in the second half. (laughs) I mean, that was the entire game. Right there, Louisville winning that individual matchup changed the tone of everything that happened in that contest.
2: And and I think you to give Kenny and and the staff credit for this, uh, I'd love to hear about the process of of coming up with this, but I kind of asked this during the game. Are they running the pack line? For for a a large portion of that game, it was everybody's feet were just inside the three-point line. It almost looked like a 2-3 zone, and every single time O'Meara got the ball on offense, he got doubled immediately. Yeah. It was very obvious. They thought uh, we're going to go at him on when we have the ball, and when he has the ball, when when Miami has the ball, we're doubling him and making him get it out of his hands. And then Miami stopped trying because of the post-doubles, and it really was just like kind of a mock Virginia defense uh, where they weren't allowing – dribble penetration, and they were doubling once they got in the post. And Miami fell into what maybe this is what Louisville thinks the trap should be, and if so, good on them. But Louisville struggles with, like, ADHD on defense, where the deeper you get into the shot clock, the less likely they are to be as dialed in as they were the first wave. And Miami just obliged. Miami just repeatedly shot shots with 17, 18 seconds, one ball screen, one pass. I think Miami really thought any old time now, Louisville's going to pack it in. We've, yeah. we've watched these games, we know. And all of a sudden at the under four, they weren't even within striking distance. Like, I think they really just were like, let's just keep going through the motions. We know the fold will come. And it just, it never did. And I, props to them for that. It, is this the first time Louisville basketball has ever been overlooked? Like, it, it might be. Yeah, I really do think this was a time where Miami was like, can't couldn't get up for this one
1: which, which and Louisville was able to beat them which, which that's sad from one standpoint that Louisville's fallen to that but sure. we don't we don't really need to get into that today it's not Louisville's watching, fault though yeah no it's not that, that Miami, Miami couldn't yeah. you know yeah yeah and and credit to Louisville for taking advantage I thought the the North Shadow double was uh to be completely honest that was about the only thing I was happy with that Louisville did defensively <laughs> I mean I, I thought Louisville was
2: Miami a large, missed a lot of shots.
1: That that that's where I was getting at. Like Sorry. Miami Miami's a team that going into the game was second in the country in three point percentage and top 5 in three free throw percentage. It takes some luck sometimes to pull off a massive upset. And Miami was 11 of 34 from 3, which is fine. That's 32%. But that's about, you know, 10-12 percentage points off of where they were or for the season, for where they entered the ball game. Free throw wise they were 8 of 15. <laughs> like that's a top five. They they were, I, I'm not sure what they were exactly. I knew they were second in three point percentage uh, going to the game. They're sixth right now on Ken Palm and free throw percentage. So I'm taking, I'm assuming they were top five before that, but for let me go 54% from the free throw line or Chad Omir, who I think Louisville absolutely frustrated on the offensive yeah. end. And um, was 87% for the free throw line coming into the season. He was three of seven and missed a critical front end of a one and one late. <laughs> like that And all some... of this
2: in a game that ended up being nine points.
1: Yeah. Like, those are some real uncharacteristic things from Miami yeah. to where, yes, they rushed some shots late in the game. But a lot of it, I, I truly think, was just they missed a lot of open shots they normally make,
2: <laughs> um, which... And, and Louisville closed the loop, though, on a lot of those missed shots. They've played other teams who've beaten them and beaten them pretty soundly where they don't shoot crazy high percentages. But they
1: get a bunch of offensive rebounds. Exactly.
2: And Louisville, there were a lot more one-shot possessions uh, that were even good shots that Miami missed and and where Louisville sort of really screws itself uh, so far this year has been allowing that to be another shot and not really getting the psychological feeling of like stringing together stops. And for the first time, you know, they really did do that. And I think the thing that we all watch for now is like, does any of this carry forward? You know, does Mike James start to play like more of a confident shooter? It's the first time I think I remember him um so move his body like moving forward as he was shooting the ball. You know, like he's like, this is go like he just his chest was out, like it just this is going in. And there was the one that he really didn't even set his feet. It was almost like it was a transition three at right at the top of the key, and he, it looked like he was like, "I can't miss." And I, when he let it go, I was like, "That is going in." And it like it was. These were all different guys, and beyond welcome. People, everybody needed this. It, it doesn't matter if this changes anything big picture. That was fun as hell.
1: Yeah, it was. And on on Mike James, I mean, he's kind of he's been on a roll the last few games. To where I'm kind of I'm not expecting to go for 26 every night, but I think he's, it's in there. Yeah, it's in there, and he's become their most consistent perimeter guy to score. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's times where Sky Clark will show up, Tyler Johnson will have have uh, some some big point outputs every once in a while where he breaks double figures, but but I think my James is you know James and Huntley Hatfield, Those are the two dudes you got to ride. I mean, yeah. those are your most con- two consistent scorers on that team when Trey White comes back it, it's got to be Mike James BHH or BHH Mike James in those orders and, and James really kept him in the game early with with you know those 16 points because no one else really showed up early in that game yeah for L, but for James just go scorched earth hit four threes in the first seven minutes that was like okay you can kind of settle into the game now when you have a guy do that and, and keep you you know involved And and for me for me the biggest moment other than, you know, we talked about, yeah, the, the steal and the inbounds to uh, have that five-point swing. Louisville found themselves down f- 54-45 with about 15 minutes left. And they were – that was the moment where I'm like, okay, we've seen this movie before where, you know, yeah. they play for a little while. They came back, tied the game early in the second half. Miami goes on that 8 nothing run. They, they create that distance, and it was like – All right, I I think this is where Louisville probably folds.
2: (laughs) I think (laughs) Miami thought that too.
1: Everyone thought that. I mean, I don't blame Miami for thinking that. They've watched the Louisville. They know what what they've done. But instead, here's Louisville's next two possessions. They're patient. They move the ball. They have probably five, six passes. They reverse the ball twice before getting BHH in the post for a drop-step layup routine. The next possession, they get a stop. Then Sky Clark comes down, drives, kicks to Curtis Williams for a wide open three, which he hits. That, that, that wasn't where they made the big run and they immediately tied the game. But those two plays that got you back within and five, it let you it lets you settle down, and it says okay, we're still at arm's length. It's not getting to double digits, and it allowed them to really kind of you could see that's where the tone of the game. Kind of change, I remember Louisville started to gain confidence. Of okay, we didn't let this get out of hand, we're reeling them back yep. in a little bit. And from that moment, Louisville went on a 21 to 7 stretch that ended with them awesome. being up 66 to 61 over seven minutes. They held Miami to seven points in seven minutes. <laughs> like, that's hard to do, no matter how many it's open it's hard for shots, Louisville to do
2: that to anyone, yeah. and no one does that to Miami,
1: yeah. And, and yes, Miami missed a lot of open shots in that stretch, but Louisville still held them to seven points in seven minutes. <laughs> that's <laughs> That to me was the defining moment, one of the defining moments of the game, to be able to make a couple plays there, get you back into it. Instead of Miami stretches that you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 points, that's probably curtains on that game. <laughs> it, it really yeah. is. It, it was That was a monumental and, moment for me.
2: And I'll, I'll add uh, to it uh, a surprise to me to see Hersey Miller starting. Not a surprise to see Hersey Miller playing because I think – Every almost every fan will tell you, like in terms of how do I feel when I see this person out there. Uh Zan Payne, rage. Everyone gets mad. But (laughs) you know, there are a handful of guys like when they come in, you're like, that looks more like what I'd like to see. And Tyler Johnson's like that. Yeah. Miller Miller's like that. So on the one hand, kind of surprised to see like the most popular guy, Tyler Johnson, get benched. But at the same time, interesting to see that Hersey was in there. He seems to resonate with people in terms of effort level and energy. And I think if you ask fans, like, give me a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, but does it 100% over a guy who doesn't have any fear of coming out, you know, and and loafs. And so I just wonder if some of what we saw last night was just all of these guys being like, holy crap, he benched one of those guys for Hersey. Because it just, it looked more circumspect. All of them, it looked different And maybe, like, just maybe for the first time, the guys were were like, he's not afraid of us. Because that's how I feel like he treats them. Like, he's afraid of getting on the wrong side of them. He's kind of an indulgent stepdad, you know, with with them instead of drawing hard lines. I mean, I I, I have a soon-to-be, you know, stepdaughter in my own house. And I know I treat my own kids different than her. I don't feel as entitled to, you know, draw hard lines than I do with my own and all that sort of thing. And it that's how Kenny's been. And, and it didn't look like that last night. Everybody was more animated, more intense, had a little bit more of an edge uh, to them and, and maybe just even the tiniest little mark of accountability paid some dividends. And I hope he's emboldened by it. I hope we see more of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it goes back to two things. I think of when you say that number one was when you look at last year, when they're kind of in that mode of these kids have been through so much trying to coddle them and get them through it. I I don't know if it took him too long to get out of that mode with how he treated the kids, even though, you know, it's a very different group for the most part on the roster this year than it was last year to where he finally had that white go off that says bleep it. I mean, we need to do something here to change anything. You know, then I go back to, you know, he is a Calipari disciple. And if there's one thing we know about John Calipari, even if things aren't going well, he's still going to start B.J. Boston every game. Or, yeah. or you know, he's going to give Nick Richards that pity start. He sticks by – he very much sticks by his guys to the very yeah. end. So those are kind of the two things I think of. So maybe breaking away from that a little bit on Wednesday night. And, and it absolutely did help him because, you know, Louisville's in a spot where with seven healthy scholarship players, you're probably thinking if you're, you know, Sky Clark or, or, or Mike James or – or uh, Danilo, or or literally anyone. I mean, I'm, right. I'm not trying to single any guy any guy out, but you're thinking, well, there's seven healthy dudes on this roster who have scholarships. He's gonna have to play me. So what? So what? What matters? I mean, we we're not very good. He's got. We don't have any other options. Why not? And then to see him start Hersey Miller, is something that you know, I'm not gonna lie. I I kind of laughed it off when I saw it. I, was I like, thought really? it was flailing.
2: Really? I said we're... it was 2018. Petrino flailing is yeah, what like, I thought.
1: Like it's, it, you know, you're, you're, you're pivoting the masterpiece walk on son who's been on in the program for two years that has never gotten a real chance that's, yeah, you know, this isn't, you know, Rudy out here. Hersey Miller isn't Rudy. <laughs> well, I think
2: a lot of Louisville yeah. fans heard, you know, saw that and they're like, now you want to do this, yeah. but maybe that is what worked about it is that it's like, even with seven scholarship players, no, I'm not putting you out there. You're not starting. You're not going to rely on us being shorthanded, which is exactly what we wanted to see last year. I think about this all the time. I mention it all the time. People have to be tired of hearing about it. But I remember Luke last year after about a month of the season saying, if it was going to be like this, I would have started all the walk-ons. And, yeah, we're still going to lose to Wright State, nap State, and all that, but we're going to lose by 40 because you guys are going to learn we're not doing that. And that these one point losses were the worst thing that really could have happened because they were like we're almost there, and and you weren't, and maybe he's finally learned this. And if if we get to the end of Kenny's tenure and like the 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 epilogue or or like the the eulogy here is like uh, a good person who learned the lessons too slow, well so be it. But it did seem like there was some awareness of like we have to change up some things, and it it did seem to land. We'll see if it carries forward.
1: Yeah, and it. They have, you know, it's not a great stretch coming up, (laughs) but but uh, to say the least, I do think you know NC State is not great, and you get them at home. So if you're going to win any of these games, I think that's the one. But after that, you get you know Carolina on the road. You get get um uh, Duke. You get Virginia. It's uh,
2: here's the thing that worries me about NC State.
3: Yeah,
2: I big picture agree with you, and just in terms of like a team profile. But if what the one thing we know they feel really pretty good about and that works is sort of playing through Brandon Hunley Hatfield and him, be, yep. he is and not DJ doing Burns. that. To, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can. I have watched him back a guy down from the three point line. You know, I mean, I have. I have watched him like a pick and roll get like a ball, a, a handoff, and just back a guy down. Like he's fun there. to
1: watch. He, he is fun is. to watch.
2: I totally agree. He's he's invigorating. I I totally agree no. with that. But, so they won't be able to do that, but they're also crazy. crazy. Yes, <laughs> like they are wild, and it's very easy for me to see Louisville somehow being the more level-headed team in that game. Weird as it is to say, uh, but you're right. There, this is as difficult to stretch as there is on the schedule in terms of matchups and, and quality teams. But we would have said Miami was
1: one of the worst of all the matchups, and we got well, what we. Maybe did. we should. We we should have. Not that I thought they were going to beat them coming in, but if you remember last year, I mean, yes, Miami beat them by about 40 in the um-center in November, but the game in Coral Gables, Wolf only lost by eight, and they led for portions of that game. So maybe we should have seen some a little bit coming. I'll, I'll put it this way. If this ends up just being a one-game mirage... A la, you know, Archie Miller's second year where they lose 12 out of 13 games, with the one they win was in East Lansing against a Michigan State right. team that made right. the final four, um, <laughs> which that, that's still insane to me. But but if this ends up being mirage, maybe we look back and just say, Louisville's a good matchup with Miami for whatever reason. But, and Miami overlooked them. But I, I they probably
2: think- This loss, though, probably will cost Miami like a seed line.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the Clemson game last year cost them an NCAA tournament bid. Absolutely. This will hurt Miami for sure. Yeah, which that's the type of that's the type of thing you can't do if you're in Miami, which which is, you know, I don't want to lean too far into that. But I mean, losing the Louisville at home, you said one C line that, that could very well be a two C line type game like that. And just
2: just to add to the comedy of all of this, listening to Levitar this morning, Mike Ryan. <laughs> I can't, you know, he says, I can't believe my blue blood program lost to a football school. You know, just to turn the whole thing kind of on its head (laughs) uh, with them coming off a final four and all that. But Louisville does well against Miami. We've got that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is there a basketball version of the boots? (laughs) (laughs) I can't
2: even name. Any, my, like, historical Miami basketball figures. I mean. Anything well,
1: before, like, Shane Larkin, you, you Constantine got Constantine <laughs> Popa.
2: Constantine yeah. Popa from a very, very long time ago. Florida's first Final Four in the mid-'90s. He, they beat Miami in the Elite Eight. and he Really?
1: Was, I didn't know that. That's, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you must have loved that.
3: <laughs> that I been. most certainly did.
2: <laughs> that was a great Florida team that had Demetri Hill, Big Fat Demetri Hill, Andrew DeClark, those guys. What, a what is a good and, team, I, and then sir. basically nothing happens in Miami basketball until they hire Jim Larenick. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was a great hire.
1: They've done was- <laughs> great work with Larenick.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: Where first of all, college basketball over the weekend, Friday night, Purdue, Illinois was great. Saturday was one of the all time. I think just sit on your ass on the couch and watch games for about ten and a half yeah, hours. Watch
2: good teams lose.
1: Yeah, but but the okay. last the last the last two days, I, I thought you know because you know Carolina won at Clemson, Kentucky won at Florida, Kansas survived TCU. You saw most of the good teams actually win. The last two nights, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, just all hell's breaking loose. In college basketball, to where you know Purdue loses, uh Houston loses, Kansas loses, Marquette loses at home to Butler. Um I mean, Kansas loses to UCF. Yeah, I mean, like do. Kansas didn't lose to UCF. I mean, come on. I mean, Houston kind of got their their first humbling of the Big 12 with the Hilton Tennessee Coliseum. Lost, Mississippi State, Tennessee lost, good, yeah. Yeah, they got Tolu Smith now back, so so they're kind of you know getting things. Yeah, Clemson, I think, has kind of fallen back down to earth. They lost to Virginia Tech. Um, my Memphis survives UTSA, but they need overtime and to score 107 points to do it. I mean, for as a bizarre of a two nights it was in college basketball, Louisville beating Miami to me is is the biggest shocker of anything. And that, you know, says something about where both programs are at right now. Sure. But but for Louisville to make a headline out of all of that, that's that's a start. That's something. That's something positive that hopefully they can build off of.
2: Yeah, and and they beat a bonafide team, too. Yeah. You know, even the, like, the best moment of last year is beating Clemson. uh, And that ended up being an NIT team. And, you know, that wasn't. Because of that game. But, like, (laughs) like it wasn't a bonafide tournament team. Like, this is a. Tournament team coming off a of Final Four with most of the pieces
1: back from that,
2: you know yeah. that's beaten other good teams uh, this year. This was, I mean, just the, this past week, the best they beat, win they've had.
1: They beat Clemson at home, and then it, they lost the an game. overtime
2: on the road to Wake Forest.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, and then and those, also, are both, you know, and those are and those both without Uga Poplar, their best player. Yeah, right. Who was back right. for this Louisville game? By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: By the yeah. way, Wake Forest just as a total aside, dark horse, like got a chance to win the ACC. Like they're good,
1: they are, and Louisville has them on the road in the stretch also coming up, uh, which uh, I haven't seen a lot of them to be honest. I'm excited to see some of them here moving forward. But Steve Forbes, man, he he pulls out of the transfer portal, and he, you know, he hasn't had that big breakthrough yet. This might be
2: the one, though. This
1: might be the one. That, that's yeah. kind of well, where now
2: that Efton Reed got uh, eligible. Yeah, He's the ACC race different. is pretty wide open. You know, yeah. I, I think you've got several teams um, that if they can a bunch of teams, like if I can force you to play my way, we'll win. I don't really, I'm not interested in playing yeah. your way, like at all, but there are, I, I think there's four or five teams that can win the
1: ACC. I, I think right now, and I this was actually going to be my next question, was asking about the ACC, but, sure. but North Carolina, I'm not just saying it because they're, you know, the blue blood and the, the the tobacco road school and all that stuff, but Carolina going down to Clemson and actually doing something different than what you just said and winning a defensive grinded out yeah. slugfest fest. I didn't think they were capable of that, and I look at them, and I'm like, okay, they're kind of putting everything together now. I mean, even without Baycott being, you know, your vintage Baycott so far this year, Cormac Ryan is still below 30% from three on the season. They're beating teams. RJ Davis has been phenomenal. I mean, yeah. Harrison Ingram from Stanford has been a really good pickup. Uh, Ryan, I expect to start hitting some shots at some point. I mean, Jalen Weather, it's our old friend from Louisville, is getting, getting some uh, some solid minutes there. I, I really think they're the class right now, but I, I'm I'm still not going to argue that this is a vintage ACC, like what we saw, like the Zion yeah. Williamson here or anything like right. that. But I do think the league's definitely better than what's been the last couple seasons. I mean, they said Wake Forest is a dark horse. Clemson, even though know, they've kind of been – been you know humbled the past week or so i still think they're a good team dukes obviously still there there what do you think uh, miami even you know with yeah. i think there's questions now after the louisville game but what, where do you think the state of the league is at this point and what that means for louisville
2: yeah well it means for louisville that there's, it's just not going to get any easier you know before yesterday ken palm didn't project them to win any individual game the rest of the year uh, and I suppose that will change. I think there's a lot going on, but the ACC really struggles. Uh, it's not their fault, but it, it just is what it is, with a perception problem of even when other teams are good, they're the wrong teams, right? So, like, basically the ACC isn't good if Duke and North Carolina are not good. And it, people. it doesn't matter. Virginia has won a national championship. Miami has played in the Final Four. It doesn't matter. Does Like, recently, if Duke and Carolina aren't dominant, ah, the ACC's down. Like, it just, it is what it is. But there are teams uh, that I, I, Miami is still Final Four caliber. Like, I would not want to play them, especially in condensed tournament ball. Like In, a game, in a game
1: they care about. <laughs> they're
2: built for that. That's exactly yes. right. They are built for that. And I think the same goes for Wake Forest. I think with Efton Reed, like Hunter Salas, like that's a really skilled roster. And I think Steve Forbes is a, is a really good coach. I think the league's a lot better. I think the bottom... I think Louisville's still the worst team, but if you look at Georgia Tech and Notre Dame, like they are, to me, they're light years better uh, than, than I even expected them to be right now. And if I was a Notre Dame fan, I would be really excited about Shrewsbury kind of down uh, down the road. And I think maybe the same for Georgia Tech uh, as well. I think Virginia's not as good as they have been. They're not as skilled. They're not as athletic, even for what they like to do. But So the road's just not going to get any easier for Louisville at all. But I think I think they could get six teams. I think they could probably get six or seven teams in. I think you start getting super ambitious after that. I you know I, the league can't. Uh, Florida State was had it rolling, and I don't yeah. know what has. I would love a, a deep dive from someone on sort of what has happened to where they were perennially, you know, deep into the tournament and lottery guys, and you knew everybody was going to be seven feet tall, and you know it's wild what they do, and it really just stopped.
1: Yeah. And I, I, it's hard for me to say exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, like, it are, was like the COVID tournament. We, we talk about this a lot with Louisville about how, you yeah. know, they were going to be a top four seed. They were, they, they were going to be a two seed. And yeah. it's not crazy to say. I mean, I look back on that year. I look at teams that I think would have won the national championship. I mean, I look at Michigan State with Cassius Winston and those guys who were going to be a yeah. one seed. I look at Seton Hall with Miles Powell. And and Sandro Mamukavich Philly, and and that yeah. team and I look at Florida State as I think yeah. those three teams. I mean, obviously, you know, San Diego State was great that oh, year. Dayton, Dayton was great. That year yeah, too, Dayton right? was going to be a one seed that year. Yeah. But I looked at those three teams specifically and said, okay, these teams have caught fire right now. And <laughs> they're yeah, playing. If Chris
2: Mack thinks he got screwed. Those teams. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, those were the three teams I felt like really, really got screwed. And there were, there were more teams like like Kentucky won the sec regular season by two games. They were playing great ball. Louisville kind of had that slide at the end, but you know, weird things happen in the tournament. If if they kind of found that, you know, like no early season, mid January form again, they could have gone on a run. I mean, there were a bunch of teams there that felt like they were really good position to make a deep tournament run that year. And that, that, I will never get over that tournament being canceled with everything that happened with COVID because that, that to me could have been one of the all time, just yeah. Holy crap. This is incredible NCAA tournaments, <laughs> yep. but th- I digress on that, but I, w- I want to ask you this. So we we've mentioned on this a bunch, like, look, one game doesn't change everything. Let's just try to be happy for the one game. If Louisville's able to build this into something else, we'll we'll see what happens. But for me, I'm kind of viewing it as that Michigan State game for for Indiana a couple years ago. To keep pulling back to that, from that standpoint of I I don't think I don't know if it goes straight back to the pile of crap that it's been. But I'm not expecting them to just go out and just suddenly win four or five games in a row, especially with the gauntlet of a schedule they have coming up. Where do you? I I I guess my question is going to be is. I'm still kind of in the mode of he's not getting a year three. Yeah. And until something changes and maybe this would be the starting building block of that, that I don't think he's getting a year three. And you can, you know, I I don't think you're going to disagree with me on that, but if you do, please tell me. Unless, you know, maybe he gets like 15, 16 wins. If they do that, that that would be nine more conference games though. I just, even they went seven conference games that puts them at what? 13 wins. That's just tough. I mean, I, I think it's almost like even though he hasn't been fired yet and he's still the coach there, Jerry Stackhouse a little bit at Vandy, to where yeah. the last couple of years they've had these terrible non conferences, and then all of a sudden, like late January, they put in performances like Louisville did last night they to where other, all
2: nighter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Other teams, other teams, you know, overlook them because, you know, first of all, the name of the jersey is Vanderbilt and they have a losing record and they just play their butts off play super physical and are able to rattle off a bunch of wins at the end. But at the end of the day, it's not enough. And you end up, you know, usually still have a losing record last year. They actually made the NIT, but it's just not good enough because, you know, they're doing the same BS this year to where they lost a bunch of games early on to where if, if you're doing that, that's one, that's not good enough for Louisville. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Vandy, you can do that for four or five, six years and get away with it. And two, that would still lead to, you know, them moving on from Kenny, which brings me a very, I, I did the Jason Anderson question here. That, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes, you're right. You're proud of this one for sure. Yeah, he really would be. But, but the question I'm asking is: looking at Louisville financially, where it's been, you know, state of Louisville had the tweet where they did the open records request, where Louisville's paying 39.9 million dollars in buyouts. You add Kenny Payne's eight million on top of that; that's almost 48 million dollars. I've been under the impression of. That's a lot of a lot of money to pay, to you know, if you're going to you know do something like you know, Charlie Donovan had the tweet earlier on on Thursday morning of just Chris Beard, Mick Cronin, Musselman, and Jerome Tank. I look at especially Musselman and er, Musselman, Cronin, and you know, Goodman said the thing about Scott Drew a couple of days ago of you know throw him ten million dollars. Where's Louisville financially? paying all this buyout money, not being in the Big Ten or the SEC, what, are, what should the expectations be for Louisville fans if they do end up making a change and moving on from Kenny Payne in terms of who they can go out and hire? Oh.
2: I don't think that they are equipped to just money bomb people like we're talking about. Like, say, LSU did to get Brian Kelly or something like that was like, we're going to get $11 million a year or something like that. Like, it's very easy for us to spend their money and say they should do – you know that sort of thing. I don't think they're in the position to do that, uh, but if they are anywhere close to being able to do something like that, they should thank Jeff Brown because nothing does more for your bottom line than a big, fat, full football stadium. And Cincinnati they, they
1: for avoiding the Satterfield too.
2: <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, yeah. you know, about that either. And, and add to it that w- the women draw really well; they, they are not a drain on revenue at all. Uh, in that way even with Jeff being paid well you know as a coach so the football success I think came along at just the right time to at least dampen what would be a little bit more weight and I think Petrino and Chris Mack fall off the budget after this year like I think they're done with them after that so that helps uh, as well but they're just not going to be able to do anything splashy outside of the the wealthiest of people just stepping up in an additional way and I think that if I'm Josh Hurd I started that work weeks ago. In fact, if I'm Josh Hurd, I started the work of like we need to arrange dollars and I need pledges from you to to you know execute on this as soon as the buzzer went off after Depaul. Like this is it. And in a lot of ways, I think that that was the time we're deep enough into the year to where it's not just nerves or or new guys. Uh, this is a, this is not a, it's a feature, not a bug. We've got to be ready. Uh, I was surprised they didn't fire him after Arkansas State. I was surprised they didn't fire him after Kentucky. But you've, you've, I do not believe there's anything to the idea of them waiting until his bio goes down by two million because you can't do that with the portal and right. timing. They're just gonna have to pay that. But this is where Josh has got to, I think, show his uh, emergency fundraising chops. And for as much as we're talking about the challenge of paying that kind of money, because everything you named is, I think, is pretty accurate. And then you've got to pay the next guy. On top of that, you are weighing it against what happens if we don't do that, and we can't have 4,500 people at the um Center. It's just – it's not – it doesn't let Louisville be Louisville when they draw fewer than, say, 14,000 at the yum Center. And like, when you say Louisville, you, you
1: don't just mean the university. You mean the city itself. All too. of it. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean businesses, tax base, all of it. Uh, eventually, the state's on the hook for stuff that doesn't get paid for by success down there. Like a lot's riding on this, which is only, by the way, just added to the angst of watching Kenny just sort of seem so aloof. It's like, what? This can't bother us more than it bothers you, and it sure has felt like it has, you know, for a lot of time. So, I think they'll make their efforts to make a splash, uh, but I don't know who that is. But the, I think the good news, I'm hoping. Look, I I don't think that they've turned some corner. I think this will be the end for Kenny. Uh, it, I don't even I don't think he'll make it to the end of the year. Um, and then I I think hopefully fans have been humbled by their uppityness last time because it was Kenny, and then nobody else was really good enough, even really good coaches. I thought Steve Forbes would have been good then, uh, but he probably wasn't ready in terms of resume but like people turn their noses up at mick cronin last uh, last time and i don't like him like at all he went to all games would, though he would be great
1: not like, this year not but every other, other-
2: yeah. yeah yeah like he would do he would be successful here uh depending on how you define that like he would be he would do well here i think that there are 30 coaches who would do well here Like i don't think like I think it's life and death. Like you've got to find a guy that will be successful, but I don't think it's a diamond in the rough. I, any of the, anybody you think of any of the guys you like plus 10 other guys uh, will, will certainly do better. And that's not, I'm not really trying to take a pot shot, but like there'll be improvement right away right. just by doing a lot of the basics that we all feel like kind of don't get done right now. Uh, but if, but I mean, you name name some run of the mill guys uh, little, some, that that seem reasonable to you. They, I think, they would all do well here. All of them. I just don't know how many would. If Louisville fans can make peace with it not being a splash by just the mere hiring, but let the person actually do work. Uh, gosh, you name. I mean, name somebody. Name a name a, a above average coach. Um.
1: Well, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. i I know, I know that's a splash but <laughs> right, how, how about how about a uh, todd golden at florida
2: i think he would do well he would do extremely well here yeah uh
1: him mike
2: white yep, christians dude... yeah christians would be very very well received here because they rock fight on offense but they fight fight on defense like they are ugly
1: they call and, them the dentist
2: for a reason. Absolutely. <laughs> and you are I, 100%. I spent a year, you know, doing a, an athletic department newsletter for Mississippi State. So I watched them all. And, like, yeah, they, I mean, they're brutal, but we love that. Like, they'll muck games up. They don't have, like, we know we can't win a game because we can't shoot, but and they win, you know, and, and that's the resourcefulness and desperation, that sort of thing. Like, Chris Jans would be great. I think he would be wonderful here. I would, uh, Otzelberger at uh, Iowa State would be wonderful here. So for me, it's, it, it's not, it's about, it's pass fail. Like the 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 pool of guys who I think would be very successful here uh, is is much wider than people wanted it to be last time, uh, and it, it might need to be. Uh, I don't know that you'll be able to get Scott Drew to leave Baylor. I, I just don't know if that's even possible. Would I love that? Of course, I think. Oh, absolutely. Be, that's the home run of home runs to me. But is, is him uh, here, and it would it would be as close to hiring Rick Pitino as there is in terms of a star who's won a championship and has fixed a disaster uh, and, and built something, choosing to leave it to come here. Like it would be out of this world. But I I, I truly do think there's two dozen coaches who would do very well here. If you could get, uh, you can't, but if you could get Holloway to leave like Seton Hall, he would be incredible here. He'd be, Shaka Smart would be unbelievable here.
1: Even like an Ed Cooley.
2: Oh, one year too late for Pat Jagger. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was alone for Steve Forbes and he was alone. for Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley
1: I will say Pat, Pat Jagger's did, did the work though. And, 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 and figured out what the buyout was for him yeah. at Providence. He was not worth that. Buyout. Yeah. <laughs> He's that a good fair. coach, but he was not worth the buyout that, that if you're paying that type of buyout, you might as well pay mid-cronin 16 million. <laughs> right,
2: who, who do you think is like the lowest profile guy that would do well here? Like just run through guys in your brain. Can you think of somebody?
1: What about what about someone like uh Greg McDermott at Creighton, who's been there forever? I, I, I would love
2: that. Yeah. I, I think he would do he would do extremely well here.
1: No, I, I think that's a that's a very good call. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that'd be a fun one. Uh Jamie Dixon at TCU. Yeah. I still that's can't great. believe Pitt ran him off. I mean, what a mistake that one was.
2: <laughs> you know what's worse about that? And this is uh just don't ever let anybody say like that. I'm not accountable to myself. I killed Kevin Stallings in pit Killed as, as you should have. <laughs> and I hate him. I, he's on my list. You know, he's Whitlock to me, you know, like, to, like Stephen. A. like, I do not like him. And, and Louisville's much worse than his pit teams were much yeah. worse. And I never thought the, that day would come, uh, but yeah, Jamie Dixon would be, would be excellent. I, I think he'd be very successful here. Yeah. yeah.
0: As much,
1: as much as I hate him, Fred McCaffrey scores a lot of points. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's true. Sure. Sure. Go <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah um, I mean, like, but but you're saying there, there's so many names. But to me, where I look at it, like, I don't think they can pay Scott Drew, you know, to do the Goodman thing of, of you know, $10 million a year. I just don't really see how realistic that is. But and I also, get, hey, I'll, I'll add
2: the one problem i would have with like money whipping the superstar
1: is puts what, a lot of pressure to one big immediate. yeah
2: it's think about jimbo fisher going to a&m like they were never allowed to have any intermediate steps
1: so let's just say
2: you know uh junior bridgman and five other people come up with bazillions of dollars and you get scott drew to come here at 10 and a half million dollars a year and you make the splash can they can they be a seven seed next year
1: that's the that's a tough thing because I I feel like I like that you bring that up because I I the expectations for Louisville I don't want to dumb it down and say you know don't strive to be a leader all that stuff but off the bat like like and Would they and give they, that guy any time Yeah, like you you don't go from you know ten and thirty seven to a final four team very often <laughs> yeah. in one year like but you but you but you can. can go from that to a tournament team yeah and be yeah. a seven seed. Yeah. And be you know competitive. I think that's the big thing for wolf And I, I they wonder need, they if, need to do this in steps. They, yeah. they, you don't go from zero to everything at once. But if when you pay just, a guy
2: bazillions, that's it, what you're paying think, him to do. Well, you, I think people are far less likely to uh, let there be steps. What are we paying all this money for? I really do think that's what happened with Jimbo at A and M. Like they never had. They couldn't make any mistakes because they were paying him such an embarrassingly big contract. Uh, so, in a weird way, like you, I kind of hope a workmanlike kind of guy gets it, in, so that the expectations are appropriate. Uh, that, that's the where, expectations that's... are the expectations are always going to be that they get really, really better, really, really, really fast because they can. Yeah, you know, I if I have any advice for whoever the next person is, don't preach patience. Don't do it because no one wants to hear that it's not your fault, but he ruin that for you. You don't get to do that. I'm sorry. The next guy better be a, a an egomaniac. He better have, he better have a lot to say. He better be like Bruce Pearl. I'm not saying Bruce Pearl, but like, like that, he's going to have to be larger than life. He's going to have to have, you can have confidence in me until you can have confidence in us. Uh, we're going to get this thing turned around now. This is Louisville like that. The next person's got to
1: say all that. Yeah. Well, which of the names that have been thrown around a bunch? That That's one of the reasons I really like Jerome Tang. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he showed I, I get it. This year hasn't Prisma. gone as well from him as as the first year did. But he went from, you know, team picked last in the Big 12 to, to the Elite eight in one year. And they've yep. had, you know, some some issues with the Naquan Tomlin stuff and 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 all those things to where he might not be the happiest at Kansas State right now, to where, you know, he has charisma. He already battles Kentucky both on the court. I mean, you don't want to do the Billy Gillespie thing of hiring the dude just because he beat Kentucky in in, in, in the NCAA tournament, but but you know, he beat him on the court and he's you know beating him for some recruits and he talks about them. And you know, he yeah. already kind of has that thing going with Calipari a little bit. But but more importantly than that, the dude's won games, and he's, you know, a personality. And I look at Dusty May, who was in the Final Four last year, year uh, with FAU, and say, you know, you could get him and not pay him $8 million a year. And the dude, I think he'd come in and win games. And then, you know, you could also go, everyone says Chris Beard is the uh, bleep it, let's just win games guy. I think you could hire Will Wade, one, for less money, and two, Explain away what he did a lot easier than the allegation to get Chris Beard to be quite honest. Well,
2: so we had somebody who texted into the show, uh, at the end of the show yesterday, ask a hypothetical, if you were Louisville and you, which bullet would you choose to bite the, the bad PR for Will Wade or the bad PR for Chris Beard. And I said, I, I'm taking Will Wade because the recidivism there isn't nearly as dangerous, right? So, And the the issue with Chris Beard is not, are you afraid of the media backlash? The issue, and I hope everyone hears this, the issue with Chris Beard is the fear that he does it again, that sort of the thing that got him in trouble, and that you chose to bring him here knowing there was a possibility of that. That's the danger. Not people thinking bad of Louisville for doing it, Ole Miss didn't care about that, and Ole Miss is a desperate enough place that they, for them it was worth it. I just don't think Louisville has to do that uh, to take a chance like that. And that that was why I didn't like when they hired Bobby in twenty eighteen or uh, when he came back in twenty fourteen. Excuse me, I didn't think they needed to do that. You know, it looked like it was more desperate than I felt like they uh, they were in a position to have to be. And I still think that about Louisville basketball, even as as much as they're struggling.
1: You'll like this. I'll pull it up for anyone who's watching on the video. I had a Facebook memory pop up yesterday, 10 years ago yesterday. Welcome home,
2: Bobby no. <laughs>
1: oh.
2: oh, baby.
1: Speaking of you know, Bobby 2.0, Change Man, baby. Come on.
2: But he's uh, He'll be the head coach at Arkansas by <laughs> October.
1: You're not wrong. But, but, I think Chris Beard has the better track record, but oh, sure. I'm not sure if the gap of that is as big as what it perceives to be. Obviously, Chris Beard's in a national title game. Yeah. But Will Wade had LSU in the Sweet 16, and he's been to the second weekend, you know, one less time than Beard, I think. I mean, it's two to one. It's not, neither is a huge, gigantic sample size, but, you know, his LSU teams were good. <laughs> like, they were pretty good. I think the
2: the issue there for me is more um, and this. We've talked about this on the show sometimes in regards to Mick Cronin, you know, this back-to-back coaches here at Louisville have just melted under the, the spotlight of the job. And could Will Wade handle that? Well, no. Could Chris Beard
1: or or Will Wade?
2: Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. But like the guys got to have some charm and some charisma, like for Rick, it was fuel. You know, not only did it not drain him, it fed him. Uh, and and I th- I just I think they need that person. And, and I I think Chris Beard would handle it no problem. I think he's got all the charisma in the world. I don't think Will Wade does. I think he's kind of sniveling. Like I think he's like people don't like him. And I just feel like the last thing in the world not don't like him because he wins. Don't like him because he's kind of a turd. <laughs> and so, like I that I would worry about how well that would work. Um, more my than my I thing would worry would be about Chris
1: Beard. If if you win games, it washes everything away. And I oh, I, I, okay. I I I I will say I think early on in the Chris Mack era, before they started losing, people kind of rallied behind that that he was kind of you know I'm not I'm not gonna say that that he he I, that he was kind of arrogant. And, and had the ego, he would he would go out Calipari, he, would, he called him a chicken, I yeah. mean, everyone loved that he wore the bomber jacket at, at Louisville Live, yeah. I, I can see Will Wade having a little bit of that side of it, and you know, if you're winning games in the NCAA tournament, I, I think people win that, but yes, no, I definitely agree that Chris Beard is more of a personality than Will yeah. Wade is. is, to where it'll be Honest, obviously very fascinating to see what happens and you yep, knows, maybe, you know, something insane happens and Louisville goes on a run after this Miami game, but All right, hey, last year I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll
2: ask you this one as a way to sort of cap this.
1: Yeah, so Louisville
2: wins and we're both talking about replacements. So yeah, what 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 I don't want you to be realistic. I want you to tell me what you think in your mind. What are they now? Six and six nine? and nine. Nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> what does their final record have to be to where you'd be like, yeah, they should bring Kenny back for year three? I see where this is going.
1: I think you gotta at least you, you got at least be an NIT team. Okay. Like I, I've been consistent on that. Like you don't have to be in the NCA tournament, but you gotta be at least fringe bubble to me. Like it, it, it's year two. You went four and twenty-eight last year. You don't get to go, you know. 13 and 19 or something like that and say, well, we won nine more games than last year. What do you want from us? You got yeah. your Louisville basketball. You, you're the, you built, you put yourself in this spot where you went four and 28 a year ago to where you got to be somewhere, probably in that 15, 16, 17 win range for, for me to even consider it.
2: Yeah. They, they've got uh two games against sub 100 teams left on Ken Palm. And that's Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. They have to win those. Yeah, Uh, no, they cannot lose those. Uh, And then you've got teams in between 50 and 100. Boston College, Syracuse, uh, Pitt again, uh, Florida State at 98. Uh, You got to win all those. Like, I'm with you. Like, I I think they've got to be over 500 down the stretch here. They've got to finish 15, 16 wins. And it feel like, oh, man, do we really want to stop this? Because I'll still go, it's not numbers. I've been saying this all along. It's just that there's going to be a vibe, and we're either all going to get it, or most of us are going to, or we're not. And anything less than this being definitive, that we totally can see where this is going. You know, imagine if they do win, like, 10 out of the last 15 games or something down the stretch here. Then they'd be be 16 and 15. Right, but... you basically would have a second half of the season. That's the inverse of the first half of the season, but you'd and the the the, the likelihood would be that it's Caleb Glenn and Curtis Williams and Tyler Johnson, young guys who you would expect yeah. to come back and you could preach. Now let me supplement these guys with some really impactful guys out of the portal. Like that's just the basketball part. Then there's all the other elements of being the head coach that he'd have to really start turning around equally I'm pretty skeptical that that'll happen, but I think it would have to be that dramatic. He's got to overcorrect. He's got to over, he's got to undo some of what's happened, not just start doing what he's supposed to do now.
1: Yeah. And, and like, that would almost be more encouraging than if they win like three more games the rest of the regular season than did a Patrick Ewing and won the ACC tournament. <laughs> like, that, that would be, that would feel fluky to me. <laughs> but I, I listen,
2: if, if he did that, they would, they would fire him before the ACC tournament. Like if you know to avoid that, you're just That's not going to let that happen. Like yeah, yeah. I think the I think the echo of the final whistle. He's out of here.
1: I can see that because, because I mean you brought it up. I mean you can't wait around for the contract the the buy right. the the buyout to fall because yeah right. that doesn't happen until March thirtieth. Yep. You can't miss a month of transfer portal for yep. for two million dollars. You're losing more money than you're saving. Too much rides way. on next year being better than that. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, if they win Saturday at NC state, this kind of becomes the pivotal game of yeah. if you can find a way to somehow win that game, then you can go, okay, Miami, maybe wasn't let's a Let's see where this
2: goes. Yeah. Right. It,
1: it was, right. a, it, it's a brutal schedule coming up after that. But if you can find a way to win that game and say, okay, let's see what happens. Maybe we start to change our tune a little bit, but until that happens, you, there's too much evidence the other way, unfortunately, yep. for Louisville. Well, well, we'll go ahead and cap it there because I know I've kept you over an hour, Mark, and I really appreciate right. too I easy. really, really appreciate the time. It really just flies by, man. I had a lot of fun with you today. We'll have to get you back on again soon for Mark Edis. Again, host of the drive 939 The Bill, 3 to 6 p.m. daily. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Edis. I'm Jack Grossman. We'll catch you next time here on Floyd Street's Finest.